0: Welcome back, everybody, to the My Generation Podcast. My name's Jack. My name's John. Welcome back. And uh, pretty much what we do here is we take music from my time. We take music from my dad's time. We compare. We contrast. We debate. You already know what's going on. Let's get into it. Dad, what are we doing today? Today we're
1: talking about three goats. All right. Our three greatest of all time. There we go. And (laughs) um, before people write in and say, what about Purple Rain, or What About Tattoo You, or something like mm-hmm. that. These are our three favorite at the
0: time. This is yeah.
1: not necessarily us saying mm-hmm. these are the three greatest works of art. Yeah. These are our three favorite at the, at My the moment. My
0: three favorite fluctuates all the time. Mine does
1: too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about three of yours. We're going to talk about three of mine. We're going to see where we agree, and we're
0: going to disagree. So why don't you start us off? All right. So the first one that I wanted to talk about today is Mad Villain, bad Villainy. By the uh, duo Mad Villain, uh, which is MF Doom and Mad Lib. And uh, this is created during an incredible second act of MF Doom's career and pretty much dead in the middle of uh, super producer Mad Lib's prime. And uh, this is a super smooth and jazz rappy project. And all the songs are pretty short. I think only one or two of them passes like the three minute mark. Uh, most of the songs are kind of this like stream of consciousness style of verse. And um, all the songs flow really well into each other and pretty seamlessly have these great transitions between songs. And they work well and sounds just great. And I love the production and the amazing sampling by uh, Mad Lib. Um, Also those old school kind of radio show samples. yeah. Which I think that most of them were pulled from that 1960s uh, Fantastic Four cartoon.
1: That's really cool. I didn't realize um,
0: that. Yeah, I think this is... Obviously, is my favorite album of all time, my favorite hip hop album of all time. And um, I think some of my favorite songs include uh, Accordion, which is one of my favorite songs just ever. I can see why. Um, Raid, Curls, and uh, Rhinestone Cowboy.
1: Gosh, you know, you've mentioned before when we were talking about albums, albums that have a theme or some Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, interwoven thread that holds them together. Yeah. This is an album that has a theme. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, You know, and the theme is set in the first song, which is called Illest Villains. Mm -hmm. And it's just cool. Yeah. You know, it's it's got some jazz. It's got some of the spoken word from the Fantastic Mm -hmm. Four show. Yeah. Um, It introduces you to the fact that this is an album about kind of comic book villains. Yeah. And it's just cool. It's not about politics. It's not about sex. It's not about drugs. It's not about drive-bys. Well, some of the songs are about drugs. Maybe. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one. Um, but but this is a really cool kind of thematic album. Mm-hmm. And I liked it from start to end. Um, Illest Villains is one of my favorite that goes into accordion, that kind of combination of those yeah. two is great. Um Bistro is another great song. You mentioned Rhinestone Cowboy, which is one. awesome. But there are several songs on this album that are have no lyrics. Yeah, they're just they're the just instrumentals. Instrumentals. Yeah. And the supervillain theme, in my opinion, is it's the coolest of those. Um, I mean
0: all those instrumentals are just so great. Yeah.
1: You know, and there's a great song, America's Most Blunted. Mm-hmm. Um yep. Yeah, okay, we kind of flirt with a with a theme there that yeah. <laughs> the parents might not might not love but it's a really cool song
0: anyway i think it's a cool song i think that the uh the quasimodo feature yeah. i think that's really great and explain who quasimodo is that's just that's just mad lib but this kind of like alternate, alter ego, right? alternate kind of like personality <laughs> yeah. that he uses when he's rapping it's pretty and cool kind of like pitches up his vocals he definitely does it's i think i think it's a lot of fun there are like several quasimodo albums oh that are, is it really kind of fun yeah
1: I think this whole album is fun. It's fun. I mean, we have some deeper albums to talk about, mm-hmm. but this one is just fun. And for you 50 plus dads out there and moms, check this out. This yeah. is really cool. It's just a smooth listen, really. It really makes is. Sense. It it, yeah. it is, but it's a fun listen. It's uh-huh. funny listen. Yeah. Um. And uh, I really like this. Yeah. So. And uh,
0: real quick, for our JPEG Mafia shout out of the day, you know, oh, we yeah, have to we keep, have it Peggy, we baby. keep it going. We got to keep it going. Um, JPEG Mafia uses the same sample on his song Polly from Communist Slow Jams as uh, Mad Villain does on their song America's Most Blunted. Yeah,
1: you you know, I told you the first time that I had heard JPEG Mafia's album, it was like swallowing broken glass. (laughs) But the more I listened to it, the Mm -hmm. more I liked it not the case with this. yeah just right from the outset right from the outset right
0: it. from the first couple of seconds mm-hmm. you're like what's going on here this is different this is really cool and it's cool because like this isn't like a theme that gets explored in a whole ton of music no. like comic book villains like yeah it's something that mf doom like explores and czar is starting to explore now but that's pretty much ripped straight off of mf doom but um yeah i mean it's super unique and it's just it's just awesome
1: and I think you told me or I read somewhere that that this is one of the most influential. Absolutely. At least from a production standpoint, mm-hmm. one of the most influential albums in the genre.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it came out in 2004, like in 2004, when this came out, there was like it was underground, but there was nothing sounding like this. Yeah. And like there's still like you can see the um you can see its influence in modern music like Earl Sweatshirt's uh, Some Rap Songs that came out last year is so heavily influenced by yeah. it. But uh, there's just nothing that that sounds like that catches that same, it's that really same fire. Fun. Like, it's, it's just so great. Check this out. If you're not Absolutely. familiar with
1: it, this is a must-go, mm-hmm. download-immediately type of situation. Absolutely. So great. That was a great first one to start off with. I'm going to start off with Graceland by mm. Paul Simon.
0: Another great one.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Paul Simon is uh, known for his folk duo, Simon and Garfunkel, some of the biggest hits in the world. Like Bridge Over Troubled Water is probably one of the most well-known song in the world. Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson. Um, but but this duo, they're legend for hating each other. And, <laughs> and so Art Garfunkel, you know, kind of goes off and pouts and Paul Simon goes off and creates music. And uh, so Graceland was created in August. It was released in August of 1986 and uh, you know he said that he was coming off of a hard time his marriage to princess leia broke up <laughs> um he had had a uh, unsuccessful solo album largely unsuccessful um and, and had been listening to south african music he had a tape of south african music that he was really into and you know this was a period of time uh that apartheid was really rising in the consciousness of of people around the world mm-hmm. and institutionalized racism Um, was something that that people were really starting to rise up against. And at the time, uh, most musicians uh, were boycotting South Africa, and there was even a group called Artists United Against Apartheid, and artists didn't want to touch South Africa. So Paul Simon was a little bit of a pariah that he kind of swam upstream he went to South Africa and he he didn't support the South African government, mm-hmm. but but he supported the people of South Africa. Yeah. And um, you know th- this album is made um, w- with incredible musicians from South Africa. And uh, you know you know it it was released as I said in August of '86, and it, it was a great critical success. Um, the album won a Grammy. The single "Graceland" won an Emmy. Uh, It sold really well, 16 million copies plus. Um, It was a real important album, a real good album at a time when uh, people really needed to know more about South South Africa. And and I really think that this did have an influence in changing things there. Yeah. Um, So this is a, a great album and it is an important album. And I think all the songs on this are great. There are three particular songs that I just love and listen to all the time. Uh, The first is Graceland. Please pay attention to the lyrics of this song. It's, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, I Know What I Know, and then Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Those those are the three favorite songs on this album for me. And uh, that by no means uh, says that the rest of the album isn't good, the rest of the album is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are my three favorite. What did you think? This yeah. is an important album.
0: I think this is a really solid album, and I love the drums and the instrumentation, like specifically the drumming though, because yeah. that's like that is really that South African music there. Yeah, and, and the like, harmonies of yeah. the singers. Yeah, and you know, like yeah, credit where credit is due to all those South African musicians that helped out in this album. I mean, they did an absolutely great job. There's some sick bass on this too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really great. I think really my only criticism is that I think the first half of the album is a little bit stronger than the second half of the album, only because Paul Simon really packed like the front half of this album with so many great songs. I feel like maybe like the second half just like slightly lags a little bit. It is front end loaded for sure. Yeah. And um I think like the only exception with like all these great songs is the final track, yeah, which is love All Around the World or The Myth of Fingerprints, which it's still a fine song but it just doesn't really catch yeah. like that same flame that i feel like the rest of the songs right. do right and uh, i think that all around this album is really enjoyable and other than just like not really liking one song i don't really have any major complaints about it
1: that's awesome if if you download this on apple music there's also some uh extra pieces some interviews yeah, there's of some paul Simon's some, some demos yeah. really cool to hear mm-hmm. so
0: uh, that's, interesting.
1: That, that's my first go. What do you have next?
0: Uh, next, I have uh, Pink Flag by the band Wire. And um, to me, this is probably the most essential album in the punk genre. And I think it really like perfectly exemplified everything that punk was building up to be like at that point. Absolutely. And it, it's just, it's it's really, it's perfect in my eyes. I don't see any flaws with it. And I think that the vocals and the instrumentals, while they're so like... They're fast and hard hitting, but they're they're meticulous and like well thought out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's also incredibly consistent. I mean, I think it's twenty one songs, and yep, it sure is. Um, not a single one goes over four minutes. But
1: in fact, one doesn't even get to thirty seconds. No, a field day for Sundays.
0: You know, <laughs> r- runs
1: a mean twenty eight seconds. Oh yeah, and
0: just as it's gathering steam, it's, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I think that each song is as good or is maybe a little bit better than the last one. And uh, this album is just incredibly influential and just really shaped the sound of punk music in the future. Yeah, And not to mention it's aged so well. It's found a way to still sound like modern, even though it's been like 40, It's been 40, 42 years yeah, Can, since uh, it was. It's hard for me to it's believe. crazy.
1: So, you know, I totally agree with you. This is an amazing album, and I have to confess something. You know, I was a fan of the genre back in the day, Mm -hmm. and, and this is the most influential punk album that nobody knows of. Yeah. You know, like I I hadn't even heard of this. It wasn't until you brought my 16 year old or my sorry 18-year-old son Mm -hmm. brought it to my attention. (laughs) Not a huge commercial. No, not a huge commercial, but so influential. Mm -hmm. I mean, like REM covered one of their songs on this strange, and both the original song and the REM cover of it are amazing. Yeah.
0: And uh, not uh, to mention minor threat. Minor threat. Covering, they covered one two XU. Right, which
1: is, is, is in my opinion, the best song on this album. Yeah. It's it, it is one. so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh somehow or another when they were playing live, I don't think they probably said XU. I can imagine <laughs> that they substituted something in there. Um but uh you, you know, both again, the the um wire version and the minor threat version, which is basically the wire version on steroids. <laughs> Um, you know, are just incredible. I Mm -hmm. think that there's just a ton of great songs in here. If I was to pick a couple that were, uh, you know, particular favorites of mine, X-Lion Tamer Mm -hmm. is one, Uh, Brazil is another one, and uh, the title song, Pink Flag, is just incredible. I I thought this was a great album. I'm embarrassed that you had to bring it to my (laughs) attention, but at the same time, I'm incredibly grateful that you did because it's definitely great, and so... For all you 50-year-old Clash fans out there, go check this out.
0: Yeah, uh, my favorite tracks are uh, Reuters, X-Lion Tamer, Mannequin, and 1-2-X-U. Yeah. Uh, all, all of them great tracks. I think Mannequin specifically is just out of this world a great song yeah um yeah uh moving on uh yeah So your next one? my next
1: one uh the first one i talked about graceland came out in 86 this one came out in 87 this mm-hmm. is the joshua tree by u2 all right so when this came out this came out to much hype u2 was very very popular yeah and uh i was on spring break of <laughs> my freshman year of college i was with a bunch of people we were down at myrtle beach we were having a great time and I left all that behind. Borrowed somebody's car. Got to a record store the minute it was open and bought this on cassette tape. And I wore this thing out for a week. It was, you know, just great. Then it's absolutely great now. This is an album that's truly inspired by U2's love of America, mm-hmm. and it's inspired by kind of bluesy country sound. Uh, you, you know, it's got a lot of Americana in the imagery. Um, it's spiritual, you know, they talk about, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, I think, um, where the streets have no names, they're, they're probably alluding to heaven. Um, it's just a very well thought through and, you know, the the guitar that the edge always comes up with Mm -hmm. is new and innovative. It was incredibly good. And it was a huge immediate success. This album was certified platinum within 48 hours of release.
0: And that is crazy. In those days, you know, yeah, people you...
1: had to get in their car and go buy yeah, it. Yeah,
0: there was no digital downloads at that no. point. Like, you had to go to a record store. And... Two days. Yeah.
1: Platinum. Mm-hmm. It spent 120 weeks on Billboard's top albums chart. And it sold over 25 million copies. It's among the best-selling albums of all time. Um, it, it's just incredible. Um, there were three big hits on this album Mm -hmm. with or without you. I still haven't found what I was looking for and where the streets have no name. And all three of those songs are good, but my two favorite songs aren't any of those. Uh, my particular favorites are red hill mining town and one tree hill. Um, incredibly, you, you know, the lyrics are amazing. Uh, the instrumentation is great. Uh, I can listen to them over and over and over and not
0: get tired of them. I absolutely love those songs. They're among my favorite songs of all time. Mm -hmm. What did you think of this? I think that this is a really great album and a lot of like ballad like songs on here. And the majority of them like became like really big hits. Yeah. And, um, I had never really listened to this album all the way through up until like a couple of weeks ago. But once I did, I realized I actually heard a lot of the yeah, songs because I played obviously this a lot you, as you were have been up. playing yeah. this a lot as I've been growing up. And um, yeah, I think some of my favorite songs are still haven't found. I'm looking for um, in God's country uh, with or without you one tree hill. And I think that the thing that probably stands out to me the most about this album, like even though the instrumentation is really great, I think it's the writing. Yeah. I think that, Every song, like there's not a single song that I don't think is written incredibly well. Yeah, they're all meaningful. I think that they're all meaningful, like not only to the listener, but also to all the members of U2. Yeah. Uh, It's it's personal. And I think that uh, they're all like well thought out and they're all written incredibly well. And it's just loaded with memorable songs.
1: You know, U2 is an interesting band in that they they are able to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they do it. And, and <laughs> I, I think but a big part of it is that they don't stand still. You know, they are always moving. So, you, you know, their previous albums, Boy and War, sounded nothing like this. There's an absolute maturation that came um, with this album and they've continued to mature as time has gone on. Um, never sounding the same in any two albums. So I, I think that they're an incredible band. This is probably, gosh, you know, my favorite album of all time, mm-hmm. at least at the moment. So, um, so yeah, so that's Joshua Tree by U2. Um, younger guys, if you haven't heard this download, please. <laughs> all
0: right. So next you got, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly by, uh, Kendrick Lamar and, um, off the back of Another one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time, which was Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Um, he, take a, he took a pretty huge risk and made a real full jazz rap album with an incredibly bold political statement running through the entirety of the project. And um, it worked out incredibly well for him. And it came out to be one of the deepest and most meaningful albums in the genre. Um, the music is so amazing and all the instrumentation is like incredibly intricate and really mind-blowing yeah. to me um, The message about like racism and all that is incredibly clear and well articulated And I, I think this album is just pretty genius all of the features are integrated super well And it, it would be really hard for me to pick out like a favorite song yeah. Personally because I feel like it's hard to listen to the songs individually And they have a lot more, like, they have a lot more meaning if you listen to it, like, chronologically. Sure
1: does. And and you have to listen to them. You have, yeah. I I mean, this is not one, at least for me, being 52. You know, I listened to this, and it's thick, and it's rich, and Mm -hmm. the sound is incredible. And I immediately loved the music Mm -hmm. part of it. But I struggled with the lyrics. So I thought to myself, gosh you know, there's something I'm not seeing here. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded the lyrics of the first song, Wesley's theory, and I I looked at it. I read some reviews of it. It's incredibly deep. Yeah. Okay. This is a song about young inner city kids Mm -hmm. going from being destitute poor to being a millionaire overnight. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with your money? Do you go out and buy M16s for all the boys on the block? Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, Wesley is, I think it's alluding to Wesley Snipes and the trouble that he had with his tax situation. Um, You know, how does a young inner city kid go from being broke to having all the money in the world? Yeah. And, And so, you know, the music's great. But you know what the lyrics on this song mm-hmm. are really smart and really informed and mm-hmm. as a 52-year-old guy I didn't get it. Yeah. I had to spend some time thinking about it and looking looking into it a little more deeply and I'm looking forward to actually spending time uh, paying attention to more of the songs on this yeah. album and uh,
0: honestly, that's totally understandable yeah. after one listen because I feel like this isn't an album that you can just listen to once and feel like you fully understood right. it right. like JPEG
1: is... Mafia, for example, same way yeah, you
0: go. I mean, but like this more in the more in the concept here. Yeah, I think that like to fully understand what Kendrick Lamar is trying to articulate to you. I think that this takes like some studying and you got to listen to it a couple times. You got to like read the lyrics. I think, lyrics. I I think, think so. That, I think that um, he does really well articulating his message, but it's, it's so well crafted. And I think that to fully understand it, I think uh, listening to it once is not enough. No. And I've listened to it a couple of
1: times now, and every time I listen to it, I like it more. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two other songs that particularly strike me on this. Um, King Kunta. Great one. It is just incredibly, uh, you know, both in sound and lyrics, uh, really, really interesting. But the most interesting song on this album is called I. Mm-hmm. And um it's a song that then has a spoken word component to it at the end. The song is catchy. You mm-hmm. you know you could you could be humming it, you could be singing it to yourself, but the spoken word at the end is incredibly mm-hmm. poignant. So yeah. it's uh it, it's it's a really good album and, and honestly You know, you and I talked about this a little bit. I want to draw the comparison between this album and my last album uh, that I want to talk about, which is London Calling by The Clash. All right. And and I just want to say that I think To Pimp a Butterfly is the London Calling of this generation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the music in To Pimp a Butterfly, you know, it's rap over top of jazz, funk, spoken word soul, and Mm R&B. You know, the the musicality of this is incredible, and, and there are great lyrics over top of it. I think London Calling by The Clash, which came out in 1979, is really punk music over top of other genres of music. It's punk aesthetic, punk music over top of rockabilly, reggae, soul, in R&B. Some funk in there too. Absolutely. 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 And, and and so these are while seemingly very different, yeah. at least in my mind are are very similar.
0: I think that it's that comparison is definitely fair. I yeah. mean, they they do both like pull in influences and not only just influences but just a lot a lot from from other genres. Yeah. And yeah. I, absolutely.
1: You know, I think that uh I think that they're both very political as well. Mm-hmm. They're they're well thought through. They they have more than just you you know how am I going to get this girl? How am I going to you know have a date for Saturday night? This is this is deeper, more political yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I just think that uh, that they're both important pieces of music aside mm-hmm. from being incredibly good and incredibly fun to listen to. So, um, so London Calling is my, my last favorite. All right. And, um, there are just so many great songs on this album that I, I can't, you know, kind of narrow it down. I mean, it it starts out with London Calling, which is just such a great song. Oh yeah. It ends with a song that wasn't even on the liner notes, uh, which is Train in Vain. Yeah. If you were to look at the song list at the back of the album, they never mentioned that. Yeah. Um, so you know, in between those two are, are just some great great songs. Clamp down perhaps being my favorite mm-hmm. um, but you know, I think you had brand new Cadillac is one, one of your favorite Spanish bombs. Spanish bombs is incredible. You know, the Clash were one of these types of bands that could take something punk music that was inaccessible and make mm-hmm. it accessible. Yeah. And I, I read a quote somewhere that said that punk died the day that Clash signed with CBS Records. But I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, they took punk rock to a much wider audience.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that the the fact that they made a punk album that gained a lot of steam in the mainstream, I think it only ended up being a good thing for the genre. Yeah.
1: I mean, incredibly influential. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was a high school freshman in 1982, and that was the year that Combat Rock came out. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know The Clash before that. Combat Rock was the one that kind of brought me in, and the hits on that were Rock the Casbah and Should I Stay or Should I Go. Mm -hmm. But I immediately was like, well, what else do these guys have? Yeah. And London Calling is just, you know, some would debate whether the self-titled album The Clash Mm -hmm. or London Calling is better. I think that they're two completely different albums. Yeah. I, it's both hard, incredibly it's great. It's hard to compare yeah. them, but they're just they're both. There's an incredible. evolution there. Yeah, yeah,
0: and um, yeah, I think it's it's an incredibly consistent album too. Like as I said about uh, about Pink Flag, um, this yeah. one's 19 tracks, and um, they all are entertaining. Yeah. And I don't think that there's any song that like lags behind the others specifically. And some are very deep. Yeah and i think that as you said the clash has a really great job of mixing other genres like funk and pop and all that uh, within this punk sound and uh, a punk album with mainstream appeal was a really great thing for the genre and it pushed it made people push the boundaries yeah. of of like the the boundaries of the genre really and um i think that this is incredibly influential and you can see you can still see the Clash's influence in modern acts like Green Day and absolutely uh, Parquet Courts. I would say totally agree. and um, yeah. Uh, as I was, uh, some of my favorite tracks are "London Calling," "Brand New Cadillac," "Spanish Bombs," "Clampdown," and "Train of Vain. You know, and for the people who
1: didn't think that the Clash were punk enough or mm-hmm. that they were sellouts. They went a different direction, yeah. You know, which was also really good for the genre as well. Mm-hmm. The people who were like "f the Clash" or called them "Cash," mm-hmm. um, you, you know, went and went down the hardcore, yeah. or went down, uh, you know, different genres. All of which were
0: great. I think all of which were great, and I think that the Clash weren't like entirely sellouts. I mean, oh. I think that they did change their music, but I think that they also like they saw like an opening, like they saw like we can. We can experiment. We can do something a little bit different right. with this genre that people aren't doing right now. Right.
1: I totally agree. Not to mention that the imagery on the cover of London Calling is the coolest mm-hmm. rock and roll imagery. Uh, the ba- bassist, Paul Simeon, mm-hmm. you know, smashing his Fender bass, mm-hmm. you, you know, is is probably the coolest rock and yeah. roll thing of all it's time. It's awesome. I love it. So, uh, so yeah, those are three of our favorites. Um of all time, greatest of all time. But we're going to do a little something different right now, which is I'm going to turn this over to Jack and let him rant for a minute about something current. So
0: go ahead. Yeah, so what we're going to do like at the end of podcasts sometimes, we might make it a regular thing, we might not, is that we're going to take a topic in music uh, that's going on today and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. And um, today what we've set aside some time for is to talk about DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled! And... He has done something that you know is not out of character entirely for him, and uh, obviously, he released his album on the uh, same day that Tyler the Creator released his album. And I, if I was DJ Khaled, I would not have been surprised that Tyler the Creator's album topped the charts at number one while yeah. his kind of stayed at number two. But, um, obviously, DJ Khaled. Was surprised by this, yeah, and uh, took to Instagram in a since deleted video to say that um, he makes albums that for you to listen to, and that um, this o- these other albums such as um, Tyler Creator's Igor or Billie Eilish's When We All Fall Asleep Where We Go are mysterious albums that no one hears, which is an odd thing to say what does that even mean it doesn't mean anything honestly it's the most incoherent thing i've ever heard um because is he actually a musician or no no,
1: he's more like a guy who pulls people together and does produces collaborations
0: and stuff he doesn't even like produce things he had he had us all tricked for a little while that he was the producer of all these tracks but he really he brings in other producers he brings in vocalists to sing on these songs He's a conductor, what, he, kind of. Yeah, I guess you could say that. But like, the the songs that he makes are so ridiculously generic. Like that's not to say that I haven't enjoyed some DJ Khaled songs yeah, in the past. Sure, sure. But especially on this album of Father of Assad, he took he takes the most generic trap beats. He brings in some B list rapper. Maybe a singer that's gaining a little bit of traction recently, puts them all together, just sees what happens. These don't even have to be people that sound good together. Right. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, it just sounded awkward, the whole album. And for what it is, number two is damn number good, Number two right? is damn good. I think that DJ Khaled should be happy. He should happy. be happy with that, but he's kind of a whiny he something is, or another, yeah, right? he's kind of bitching about it right now. Yeah. And obviously like taking to Instagram not only to complain but to insult other artists that have put real hard work and dedication into making something new and kind of interesting like Tyler the Creator did and like Billie Eilish did I mean those are two albums that I think are just they're doing something new they're doing something experimental they're they're really trying to do something fresh and it worked out incredibly well for him and for him to just like throw a couple names into a focus group and see what happens and for his album to come out at number 2 and him to be pissed off about it to a point where today it's come out that he's going to sue Billboard yeah is ridiculous
1: and it's a pretty complex reason why yeah. his his album isn't number 1 it had to do with the bundling the, the of downloads. bundle deals yeah so i i mean we're not going to get into mm-hmm. that right now but that's it's a complicated reason but honestly i would what, what, I dislike most about this is I would be completely fine if he was pissed off about being number two. Yeah. No problem. But why do you got to bring somebody else down in order? Yeah. And, and I just think that that's
0: too prevalent in today's society. I mean, why ridicul- bring
1: somebody else down? How why did- bring
0: Billy yeah. Eilish down? How ridiculously ungrateful can you be Yeah, for someone whose last album was literally called grateful? Yeah. I mean, you're at a point where you're, connections to the music industry have gotten you so far that you're on number two on the Billboard Hot, One, Hot right. 200 albums. Yeah, stop doing And um, you're pissed about it because like a bundle deal didn't get you to the top. Right. By the way, it didn't get him to the top, but I bet you it got him a lot of
1: cash in his pocket. Absolutely. Right? You, you know, like it's cry me a river, pal. You know, maybe you're number two, but listen, your bank is looking pretty good right Absolutely. now.
0: Absolutely. And at the end of the day... Who cares about the Billboard Top 200? Right, what does if it really even people mean? Are, people are playing your music on the radio. I hear it nonstop if you just turn on the radio. Right. There's tracks from DJ Khaled's new album. I mean, people are obviously enjoying your music. Why can't you accept that Like, maybe, maybe Tyler, the Creator's fan base, who is incredibly dedicated to him for good reason, lifted him on top of your album? I mean, there's... There's just nothing about this situation where DJ Khaled looks like a good human being, honestly. Right? right.
1: Because if and and he's enjoyed a good reputation up until this point, right? He was on American Idol. He was on. Yeah, was was it American Idol? uh, I think it was America's Got Talent. Okay, one of those things. Yeah, but you know, he's a generally well-liked
0: guy. Yeah, and I mean he's he's always like. Made this like image for himself that he's grateful for everything that has that he's gotten right and for for he just pissed that away for something so little as not being number one on the billboard hot 200 albums for one week for one week yeah it's ridiculous he picked up his toys and he went home yeah it's just it's crazy to me i can't even fathom as to why he would want to put down other artists who he should be wanting to work with right right he needs to look in the mirror he does and how he just needs for him to actually legitimately do that just makes me think about how out of touch he could possibly be
1: I think that that's not unusual, though, for Mm -hmm. somebody who's enjoyed a long period of success. You you know, and and we've seen examples of this throughout music history. Mm -hmm. People who enjoy success, um, you know, are hungry and creative early in their careers, Mm -hmm. you know, start to get all the fame and accolades. And then they start to believe their own their own press. And And I don't (laughs) know if
0: it's like at a point where like he's ridiculously out of touch or if he's just trying to like like throw this character out there and like maybe he realized that what he's doing like with that character in that video specifically has gone a little bit too far. So he deleted it. I'm not really sure what to believe there. Like those are the two things that are kind of running through my mind. But just all in all, just an absolutely yeah. ridiculous thing. Well, Americans love
1: a good redemption story. Mm-hmm. So maybe he can, you know, create another video where, where he gives a sincere apology and get yeah. right back on track. But this was definitely, th- this was a misstep.
0: Yeah, if he does follow through with that lawsuit on Billboard, yeah. though, it doesn't look like any redemption will be happening. I don't for think him. so. Anyway, um, well, yeah.
1: that was awesome. So huh. that's something current going on right now that we huh. wanted to rant a little bit about. And, uh... We're at the end, yeah. Yeah. We're here, so uh, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to talking to you the next time. Uh, Next time, we're going to talk about the Bonnaroo Festival. All right, so we're getting real excited about that. That's this week. Yeah, that should be. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.